This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is The Morning Shift. A little bit later on, the head of the Chicago Housing Authority has resigned. We'll talk about Eugene Jones Jr.'s unexpected resignation and what it means for the residents who benefited from his openness and his reforms. But first, last year, a rash of stories and allegations about sexual harassment in Springfield dominated headlines. Now, a new report by a former inspector general says House Speaker Mike Madigan's office was rife with sexual advances, bullying, and, quote, creepy behavior. WBEZ state politics reporter Dave McKinney talks about what's in the report and reminds us how this all began. Elena Hampton had worked for Madigan uh, on that House Democratic staff. She had been there for a while and then went to work in his political office, and that's where her uh, alleged encounter occurred. And, of course, that's the the subject now of a lawsuit. There was a a superior of hers who allegedly was texting all sorts of of, uh, sexually suggestive text messages. This is Kevin Quinn. Kevin Quinn, correct. There were other moments as well that kind of propelled this. Uh, You know, we had a a state senator, Ira Silverstein, at the time, who was accused of sexual harassment. And we had uh, another one, uh, former state representative Lou Lang, a member of Madigan's leadership, who was targeted as well. And, And so all of this kind of coalesced together and created a real toxic environment about what it's like to be a woman in the state capitol and work under these people. And this report released by Michael Madigan's office found that this wasn't, you know, limited to just a few people. This behavior was somewhat common in in the speaker's office. Tell us about that. Well, it was. I mean, this report, a 200-page report that was put together by a former federal prosecutor, Maggie Hickey, showed that women pretty much altered their behavior to live amongst this. And, you know, as I was reading this report yesterday with my colleague, Tony Arnold, I mean, I just kept thinking about here I am a man in my 50s. And I don't think in my entire life I've ever felt being harassed that way. And I just kept thinking, what must it be like for somebody to have to endure that? Female employees would caution one another not to drink too much, not to go out after hours with legislators, you know, not to look, as Hickey described in the report, too available. And then the wedding ring part. I mean, that that really resonated with me, the, the fake wedding ring part. And so um, it really kind of pulled the, the curtain open. But this report, interestingly enough, put most of the blame on Madigan's one-time aide and not the speaker himself. And that's former, his former chief of staff, Timothy Mapes, who Madigan fired last year after some of these misconduct complaints bubbled up. What did we learn about Mapes in the report? He was the, the administrative chieftain, I guess you could say, of this whole operation that involved, I know Hickey uh, interviewed more than 100 people for her report. So, I mean, that gives you some idea of the group of people that 
MAPES was in charge of, of overseeing. And with MAPES, the main thing was bullying. And that's what, why he got into hot water last year. Uh, Hickey's report talked about how he, in nearly 20 years in that job, would uh, manage using fear. He would, he would remind people that they were dispensable and that you know, he would routinely threaten people uh, with their jobs. And it just became a very difficult environment to work with this person. Uh, Hickey identified just a ton of shortcomings, but one of them was that you know, Madigan, as he was kind of she described him sort of as isolated from a lot of this stuff because he didn't know many of the staff people who were working for him, that Madigan put all of the power under Mapes. I mean, Mapes was the chief of staff. Mapes was, at a, at a different point, he was the uh, house clerk, which is a, a very prominent role uh, in the Illinois House chamber. He also was executive director of the, Illinois, or the Democratic Party of Illinois, which Madigan chairs. And so all this power was concentrated under one person. And Hickey said, you know, that's a problem unto itself because it, it, power needs to be kind of decentralized. And what did that power dynamic mean for the women who were sexually harassed? Did they have somewhere to turn? That was a big part of the problem. It didn't seem as if there was a clear pathway for complaints like that. And then I think there was a lot of uncertainty about, you know, if you come forward in that environment where you have a boss who's threatening your your livelihood, are you going to be taken seriously? And more importantly, is it going to threaten your job? And so you get this sort of climate there that um, was just toxic. Now, remember that, that all of state government is not just isolated in the Illinois House. I mean, this is the one place where, as you said in the opening, the, the curtain was pulled open. We have all sorts of other, you know, massive bureaucracies in Springfield where this kind of, of uh, intense scrutiny hasn't happened. And I'm not saying this kind of behavior goes on there, but, but just be mindful that, you know, there's the Illinois Senate, there's the Secretary of State's office, on and on and on. So, I mean, this is just a small sliver of state government. I want to understand a little bit more about um, what this report says about Timothy Mapes and his behavior. Because again, as I understand it, he's not accused of sexual harassment. It's more about creating a, a toxic environment in the office. Can you break that down for us a bit? Well, people were expected to do demeaning assignments. Things like Hickey's report mentioned, you know, vacuuming a legislator's house or helping a legislator sell their home or running personal errands. And these people, their, their paychecks come from the taxpayers. And so, you know, what kind of service is that to the taxpayer? That's, that was the big question I had. Dave, Speaker Madigan put out a statement yesterday in response to this report, and he said, quote, the report reaffirms much of what we have heard in the past, and I take responsibility for not doing enough to prevent these issues in my office. He went on to say, based on Ms. Hickey's recommendations and best practices, we will take additional steps to address concerns raised in the report. What did you make of that response? Well, I mean, it, it, it was it was a fairly uh, blunt act of contrition, I think. I mean, you know, again, the report spared Madigan from the, the worst here. I mean, Hickey, I think, went out of her way to praise his cooperation in all of this. And to his credit, I mean, he, you know, after Mapes left, he put in, he, he installed a female chief of staff. Uh, there, there are new positions and new uh, new trainings that people are undergoing there. So, I mean, he's helping try to shift the dynamic and the culture there. So, I mean, she recognized that and gave him credit. But it is unusual to hear the speaker take blame for something like this because, you know, really the unfortunate thing for him is that he's amassed this record. I mean, people either hate him or they love him. And he, he's been in office since 1971. He's been House Speaker since uh, the early uh, 1980s. And so, He's the longest serving House Speaker in American history, but the kind of work environment that he allowed to foster 
is is a real blemish on his record. It can't help but be that. Again, I, I stress he's probably not alone down there. But still, this is something that when you look at Mike Madigan, this is going to probably show up in his obituary, I would imagine, in one one way or another. I want to turn to another aspect of the report, which deals with allegations made by State Representative Kelly Cassidy. What's the story there? Well, Cassidy was one of the more vocal critics about all of this last year when, when all of these things were happening in Springfield. And she felt as if, you know, her pointing the finger at Madigan and saying, do something, that that had the potential or that, that it seemed as if she was facing some sort of retaliation for speaking out of turn. And Hickey looked at that case and, and said she couldn't find direct evidence that that, in fact, was the case, that there was a, a concerted act to silence Cassidy and, and retaliate against her. But at the same time, she said there, there's no evidence that it wasn't that. So I mentioned earlier the case of Lou Lang, where, where there was an accuser of his. Hickey said the same thing, that there was no evidence that would support the accusations that were leveled against Representative Lang. And, and in large part, you know, his accuser uh, n- never even agreed to an interview uh, with her. So that was kind of, that's what I think led to that outcome. What outstanding legal issues are there um, around some of these questions about harassment and bullying in the workplace? The Elena Hampton case, of course, is unresolved. I mean, all eyes are going to be kind of watching how that unfolds and what happens with that. The same people that were in the thick of all of the stuff that was going on in Madigan's office also were involved in the political operation, the Democratic Party of Illinois, for example. And uh, the party's refusing to release the report. So there's a bit of secrecy going on on that front that you, you really have to question, is that is that for the greater good? How have the people called out in this report responded so far, like chief of staff or former chief of staff, Timothy Mapes? Well, I mean, Mapes issued an, uh, an apology at the end of the day yesterday. I mean, he, he said, if, if my demeanor contributed to a, a hostile work environment, then I apologize. So, I mean, there was some effort. I mean, he's, he's uh, represented now by a very prominent Chicago defense lawyer, Robert Clifford. That's where the, the statement came from. But, you know, Mapes, Mapes had a 40-year career in state government. He doesn't face any kind of outstanding charges of wrongdoing or anything like that that will threaten this. But I would think for a man like this, it's going to be hard to get work in this town because of everything that was identified in this report. Well, you've been covering Springfield for quite a long time. And I'm curious, do you think this could lead to an actual culture shift, not just in the speaker's office, but potentially in Springfield as a whole? Well, I mean, you can only hope it does. I mean, there's just a fundamental fairness thing. You know, I mean, as I was reading this yesterday, from this perspective of somebody who's never experienced this personally, I kept thinking about young people and how, you know, if this is your first job and you go into a job full of idealism and you want to change the world and you think politics is the way to do it, and then you have to, to kind of alter your behavior to avoid what Hickey described as sort of creepy conduct by certain people in the Capitol. It, it's, just, it's just disheartening. You know, it, it, just, it just sort of sucks the wind out of somebody that comes into a job full of hope and optimism and, and, and really wanting to make a career out of this. That's WBEZ's Dave McKenney. Dave, thanks. Thanks, Jen. months ago, the CEO of the Chicago Housing Authority said he wasn't going anywhere. I needed to spell a rumor real quickly. There's been a news article that I'm leaving to go to New York City. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I have not interviewed for a job and I've talked to anyone for a job, any of that, any of that, okay? Um, it's, it's an honor for someone to even think about, you know, going to run the largest housing authority in North America. That's fine and dandy, but I have made my commitment to uh, CHA and to my residents, to my staff, and also to my board. 
Well, Jones put in a letter of resignation on Monday. He was the CHA's fifth CEO in four years, and many credit him with bringing some stability to the organization. Meanwhile, two other top CHA positions remain vacant. WBEZ race class and communities reporter Natalie Moore was surprised by the announcement, as were residents and staff. People around him were surprised, at least some people who I talked to, and his announcement didn't say he was going anywhere. And when I reached out to Mayor Lori Lightfoot's staff to ask if he was pushed out, they said, you know, look at the statement we already sent you that said we've accepted his resignation and, you know, we're going to start the, the search soon. Well, you've covered CHA for a long time. Talk about some of the issues Jones was facing when he took the job. He faced uh, an agency with not a lot of stability because of the turnover and a lot of distrust that residents had. I go to the monthly or every other monthly CHA board meetings. And even if residents don't agree with something CHA is doing, they feel like they can talk to Jones. Like I've seen him give his cell phone number to residents. I would say that he tries to act like a problem solver. And he did some things early on that I would, you know, call low hanging fruit, but people just weren't used to that kind of responsiveness. And he also actually had run housing authorities. He wasn't someone who was a political pick. He ran the public housing agency in Detroit as well as Toronto. What's been the response from CHA residents? A couple of people who I talked to were pretty sad. And these are people who, you know, Francine Washington is a longtime resident and council leader in the, the, the tenant council that uh, format that CHA has. And she's also on the board of commissioners for CHA. And she told me, you know, I'm sad. I'm heartbroken. Francine Washington is someone who is an advocate. She will push. I've seen her disagree on some things, but she said that he brought morale up for residents and staff and she was shocked. Um, and she also said that Mayor Lloyd Lightfoot needs to appoint somebody like him, someone who will listen to the people and someone who has public housing experience. And in her words, not someone who's put there because they need a job. Well, what does this mean, Natalie, for the stability of CHA? That was something you talked about early in our conversation, that he stepped into this role facing, you know, what had been instability for some time. You know, that's a really good question because the chief of staff left earlier this year and the two of them were, you know, a a tag team. And then the CHA board chair stepped down last month. So he has put people in place. You know, there's still concerns about some of what CHA is doing, like not building enough public housing units for those residents in mixed income communities. There's still a lot of vacant land from where the high rise uh, public housing developments were torn down under the billion-dollar plan for transformation. Um, and then there's some criticisms with how the voucher program is working and where they're concentrating residents. So you have three big positions that are open, and I think people really want the mayor to fill those pretty quickly so you don't drop morale and that you don't have instability going forward. On the line with us is J.R. Fleming, director of the Coalition to Protect Public Housing. J.R., welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, clarification, I'm a former director of the Coalition and now with the Chicago Anti-Eviction Campaign. Okay, thanks for that clarification. What was your reaction to the announcement yesterday? I mean, shocked. 
you know, um, having to call other activist leaders, organizations um, that advocate for public housing and give them the news. It was utterly shocking disappointment, you know, um, not just felt in Chicago, but across the country where he was revered as one of the top housing authority chiefs. And that's why he was one of the front runners from New York position. I'm still in shock. You know, see, like like Natalie says, CHA was unstable. There's a great fear that it's going back to instability. Um, there's a great fear that we won't find anybody similar to Eugene Jones to replace his position. Someone who can deliver the same programs and responses to residents and leaders that he did. So right now, it's like a shock, right? Definitely a shock to everybody. How would you describe... Eugene Jones's um, interactions with with the community and with organizations um, working to support public housing. I mean, unheard of, right? As Natalie said, this is a position that had a high turnover rate, a position that I was always classing with activist group, always class classing with resident leaders, just always turmoil over at that um, place. And to find out that the best, we got the best of the best in the country when he came in. How did things you change know, in NCHA under his leadership? He made the staff engage the residents, right? He made the staff respect the vendors. He created pilot programs and opportunities where there was a lot of dysfunction at. Um, he brought back functionality. He created a Section 3 field office, right, one of the best in the nation, to the degree it made Dr. Carson and him come here and look at the Section 3 model. We're talking about a Republican administration who's bent on destroying Chicago or hating on Chicago, coming in saying, wait, this is a good model. Here's something good Chicago has to offer, right? And to, to see that upended by this resignation, like I said, it got everybody shocked, like, what is next? You know, and the reality is we don't think we're going to find nobody like Eugene Jones to replace that. Well, talk about some of the key things you want to see in the next CEO of CHA. Well, we definitely want to see them enhance and expand the already existing programs that he created. We definitely want to see them enhance and expand um, the opportunities he created for residents, the communication lines he created for residents. We want to see them enhance and expand the responses to residents and activists that he had. We don't want to see anyone who takes a step backward. We're not in a position to become um, unstable at the Housing Authority again. That's J.R. Fleming. He's chairman and executive director of the Chicago Anti-Eviction Campaign. J.R., thanks for speaking with us. Um, thanks for having me. Natalie, turning back to you, we mentioned earlier that two other top positions are also vacant. Um, in addition to Jones resigning as CEO, board chair John Hooker resigned last month, and former chief of staff Jose Alvarez resigned earlier this year. You've got these three key positions in CHA vacant mm-hmm. right now. How does the the organization function uh, with these big leadership positions open? I think the first question we have to ask is, what does Mira Lori Lightfoot want out of this agency? It's a sister agency, but they have, you know, most of their money comes from the, from the federal government. There is a, a city housing commissioner. That department was brought back um, this this budget year, and there's a, a new commissioner who's there who I know wanted to work with CHA to partner on some issues, you know, particularly around, 
you know, where some affordable housing is getting built and and vouchers. So I think that's the first question is who will she appoint and how will this person work with the city department? And then if you get a new person, are they, you know, like what JR said, are they going to up in what was already done? Are they going to bring in their own top executive staff? What kind of direction are they going to want? And I don't have any indication from Mayor Lightfoot if she thinks, you know what, I think things are on the right track. Let's keep things on this course or if she wants to pivot and do something different. All right, we'll circle back as the story continues to develop. That's WBEZ's Natalie Moore. Natalie, thanks. Thanks, Jen. And that's it for today's show. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. That way you don't miss any of the stories and conversations that are important to you and your community. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and let's talk again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.